boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys is the show. Hi, I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on the Zoom is Lon Harris. And we're going to be talking about streaming and other things. Nope, just streaming, not other things. I'm going to keep it very efficient today. The last few episodes, we've been drifting around a lot. I'm starting to feel like it's too much. I mean, yeah, Lon and Hal's Wonder Emporium, where we talk about anything and everything. Lon and Hal's infinite playlist. Like, I don't know, it's a lot. It's just a lot. I feel like people want those, uh, you know, they want those roadblocks. What do you call it? Like the... Uh, Bumpers? Bumpers, there, exactly. Like, I would be bowling nothing but the podcast version of Gutter Balls. And, And so we need those bumpers in. Lon, spare me. See, this is what happens when we get off topic. Yes. Immediately turns to puns. I have not been bowling in so long. I used to bowl all the time. It's one of your great passions, bowling? I own my own ball and shoes. Wow, okay. I'm bad at all, like, mini golf, billiards, darts, video games. I'm terrible at all of these activities Mm -hmm. because I see in my brain what I want my body to do, but then my body is like, listen, you should probably go fuck yourself. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do it this way, and it's totally wrong. You can't hit the bullseye. You can't get your pee-pee through the glory hole. Just always bumping it against the wall. Yeah, no, it's a miserable experience. The, the girls are the, are the guys, let's be honest. Who knows who's on the other side? Well, I know because I hear them like, uh, I'm waiting, hello. Well, they could be doing a voice. I guess that's the fun. I guess that's the enjoyment of being on the other side of the glory hole is you're in charge. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> you're steering the ship, right? That's the joys of being on the other side of the glory hole. That's my memoir in bookstores now, The Other Side of the Glory Hole. Check it out. Coming soon to stars, (laughs) The Other Side of the Glory Hole. Lon, (laughs) let's talk about hard seg from that to streaming news. Here's the news with Lon. Uh, So we've been talking a bit about HBO Max. Their ad-supported tier is launching today. By the time you hear this podcast, you will be able to go to HBO Max and sign up for just... $10 a month. Normally it's $15. You can get it for $10 a month. And on a lot of the programming, they will play about four minutes of ads per hour. They're advertising this as like the lowest ad load of any streaming service, but it's it's pretty similar to Peacock and Discovery Plus. They also have ad tiers where you get about four out of every 60 minutes are ads. But bear in mind, on HBO Max, that does not include HBO shows. So like a mayor of Easttown. You're going to watch that straight through. They're not interrupting it with commercial breaks. Gotcha. So you're not going to, like, Tony Soprano's about to whack a guy and then uh, now a word from Sparklets. Right. These would be HBO Max Originals and any of the other shows they're licensing. So if you're watching Friends on HBO Max, ads. Sure. But if you're watching The Sopranos or The Wire, no ads. But also, Another thing to bear in mind, you're not going to be able to watch those WB movies the same day they go up. So like Angelina Jolie firefighting movie, we get to watch that if we're fully paid HBO Max subscribers. But if you're only paying for the $10 a month, you just don't get those at all. You have to wait until they go up on HBO Max. You got to hold on to see Rami Malek chasing Jared Leto. Yeah, you don't get the little things. You wouldn't get Mortal Kombat. 
But so, yeah, looking ahead, that would be like Space Jam 2, The Matrix Mm. 4. Those are some of the big titles that are going to come to HBO Max, but only if you pay the full $15. Gotcha. Oh, wow. It's a real conundrum. $5. Can you make that $5 difference work? If you're planning on seeing even one of the movies that comes out that month that's going to come on HBO Max, it would be worth it because that's $5. Mm -hmm. You know, a movie ticket would be 8 to 10 So if you're doing the $10 version with the commercials, how long after the movies are available on the $15 version will will they be available to you on the $10? Well, we know it's looking like 45 days is going to be the standard. And then after that, we don't know. Like they could decide after that 45 day theatrical window, they go right to HBO Max or they just want to, you know, put it on VOD for two weeks and then it goes on HBO Max. So if you want to rent it on Amazon, you've got a little window. It's all up to what Warner Media or Warner Brothers Discovery as they're going to rename themselves wants to do. Oh, sure. I'm glad as a viewer of HBO programming that I won't have to sit through commercials if I want to watch some of these classic HBO shows. But there is something fun about going back and re-editing something like Game of Thrones and dropping commercials in there. Like you've just watched The Devastation of the Red Wedding and then it's a commercial for a, like, tied stain stick. <laughs> yeah. I'm also trying to think, like, of those when they would try to tie the commercials in. Like, you know, the old mm-hmm. days when they would know this ad's going to run during this big program. And so you'd have, like, a lord and lady, like, using Bounty to clean up their dining hall or whatever. Oh, you know what would be perfect? Those Bud Light Dilly Dilly commercials during Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Get some of the Lannisters in there. Yeah, right? Drinking a Bud Light. Yeah. Tywin? Uh, Charles Dance. I don't know if he would be the one. Might look for a lower rank to Lannister. Hmm. Lancel or whatever. Which one's Lancel? He was like the doofus one who became one of the sparrows. Oh. Cersei was uh, was using him for information, but then he joined the sparrows and became one of the like you know young priests or whatever. Oh yes, deep cut Lannister right there, Alon. Huh? Right? Huh? Nicely done. I know my Lannisters. Uh, Let's move on. Netflix has released the cast of Jupiter's Legacy less than a month after it went up on the service after just one season, which pretty much means that is it for the high-profile superhero drama. It's not going to come back for a season two. Now, they are going to do a different live-action series called Super Crooks. That's really what it's called. I'm not making a joke. Okay. It's about villains, but it's in that same universe. So technically, Jupiter's legacy, the story will continue in some form, but it's more like an anthology thing now, and all the original Jupiter's legacy actors will not be returning. Now, this was the first big high-profile show following Netflix's acquisition of Millar World. Miller World? I think it's just Miller World. Mark Miller's comic book empire. Okay. He's the guy that wrote like Kick-Ass. Like you've seen some of the other stuff. I believe Kingsman is also one of his. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was high hopes for this whole shared universe of Miller World properties. And now they've got to be disappointed that the first adaptation. Yeah. Not much of a legacy to leave here, Jupiter. Yeah. I mean, you got to figure the the metrics on that. I mean, they're saying they spent $200 million on season one of Jupiter's Legacy to not continue it with future seasons. They must have gotten some pretty terrible metrics back. Uh, More like Jupiter descending. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is it in the same universe as Jupiter Ascending? No. If there were anti-gravity boot-wearing werewolves from space in it, I think that would have done better. Well, is it in the same universe as Drops of Jupiter, that song? Yes, it is in the same shared train verse. Oh, okay. I like that. I wish I had seen this show so I could comment only because I would like to be able to comment on it more intelligently, not for any other reason. You know, this is the one with, like, Josh Duhamel, and they gave him flowing gray locks. Yeah, no, like, I just looked at it, and it's like, I was just not looking forward to watching it. There's a lot of shows where it's like, let's take a little bit more of a cynical or realistic or gritty or dark look at the world of superheroes. And I feel like it's very hard to stand out now among Amazon's got The Boys and Invincible. Mm -hmm. There's Umbrella Academy is also on Netflix. There's just a lot of shows in that world. And I feel like it's hard to stand out. I agree. This seemed like it's homework at this point. It's like a whole new yeah. roster, all new heroes and villains, a whole new world. Enough already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> too much. Too many. Too many. Come on. Sorry, Netflix. Yeah. Move on. Take the loss. There you go. They're going to keep trying this, but the main Jupiter's Legacy show is no more. Super Crooks is a real dumb name, as you pointed out. Yeah, like, try harder. Like, I, I get that they're supervillains and they steal things, but, like, come on. That's like, you know, calling something crime babies. <laughs> they're babies who commit crimes. That's, like, better. All right, uh, Mayor of Easttown. We both watched it. We're going to talk about it later. We're going to talk about it. So the Mayor of Easttown finale set a new viewership record for an episode of an original series on HBO Max. Four million people, Hal, watched the Mayor of Easttown finale either on the network HBO or on HBO Max just over the long weekend. So just Sunday when it debuted or Monday, three million of those alone watched it on Sunday. That edges out The Undoing, The Flight Attendant. It's the most watched episode of any HBO original show on HBO Max. Are they including industry in that? They are including industry. All right. You suspected industry would be number one with a bullet? Yes. People wanted to see if Eric got hired back. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, Lon. Yeah. You and I have very different takes on industry. I really like that show. Wow, you got into industry. I gave yeah. up right away. I got bored. I, I don't care about these rich fucks. Fuck them. See, I like the vibe of it. I hope you lose your job at the bank, and then I hope the bank goes belly up and you do something good with your life. I wouldn't mind seeing a character lose their job at the bank. The death knoll of late-stage capitalism is sounding, but I, I enjoyed industry. Great. It's a euphoria meets billions. Terrific. I just want to use this platform to encourage people to check out industry. Lon, that's it. My people are the salt of the earth, folks of East Town. Your people are the, you know, attractive young cokeheads of uh, Wall Street. I understand. Yes. This is just the core difference between you and me. The attractive young full frontally nude cokeheads. Right. Those are your people. And I'm from the real America. And I'm from uh, London. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, right. It's London. <laughs> rich British fucks. Jesus Christ. So anyway, uh, while we're talking about Mare, one more yes. thing to point out here. The show always billed as a single season limited series. It's going to be, you know, these seven episodes and then that's it. She's in the attic and we've said goodbye to Mare. But both director, producer Craig Zobel and Star Kate Winslet in interviews over the past week kind of left the door open. It was such a hit 
It, critics liked it. Obviously, it was a hit with audiences. They're both kind of leaving the door open that they could spare some more mayor. We may see a mayor of Easttown season two. I would be here for it. I would enjoy it. Kate Winslet was so good. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But we may be going back to Easttown sooner than we thought. You know what? I wouldn't mind that, although one of our favorite characters will not be returning. But you're talking about it coming back. Yes. If a character died during the first season, hypothetically, they would not come back for the next season. It's just not one of those shows. Like a Game of Thrones, you can't count that out. You know, like the Lord of Light might bring... Did you just throw out the spoiler for no good reason? No, I just said a character that I like. <laughs> so in another kind of show, maybe he could be resurrected or something. Hey, Mayor of Easttown, more of a realistic tone. I don't feel like that's going to happen. I mean, I would love to see a crossover where the red woman showed up in Easttown. Like Sabrina the Teenage Witch shows up and she pulls out her uh, spell book. Or just the red woman. Right. Melisandre. I understand. Well, anyway, so maybe a season two of Mayor of Easttown, probably dead characters will stay dead. That would be my assumption. Okay. Next story. According to Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer, Stars has about 16.7 million streaming subscribers at this point. That means Stars now has more people paying to stream it as a streaming service than are watching it on cable TV. Mm. This means bigger picture. Stars slash Lionsgate, which is the same company, Lionsgate, the studio owns Stars, yep. the streaming service. They're now a pretty tantalizing target for acquisition by some of these bigger tech companies. Now that we've seen MGM go to Amazon, there's not that many of these independent, smaller studios that control a lot of content and IP left. Lionsgate, now that they have this successful Stars streaming service, they've become a pretty attractive option. They own Hunger Games. Twilight, Saw, and John Wick. So those are some pretty potent pieces of IP along with a lot of other stuff that's under the Lionsgate umbrella. So that's something to be on the lookout. All these companies are definitely eyeing potential to grab some of these franchises by picking up Lionsgate and Stars. Not to mention shows like P-Valley, Power, all of the other popular shows that are on Stars. Sure, sure. The latest Saw installment did not exactly set the world on fire. Though. Spiral colon from the Book of Saw. Yes. I mean, you are correct. I feel like we are still in a very transitional moment. Post-pandemic hangover. Yeah. Obviously, there are some movies that are coming out and are doing a lot of business. There are some movies that are coming out and doing sort of this hybrid like Cruella, where, mm -hmm. you know, it made 25 million in theaters and then it did maybe an extra 15 or 20 on Disney+. Plus. And so we're kind of still figuring it out. But you're right. As one of the first big movies back, Spiral from the Book of Saw, a bit of a letdown. But I don't know if that means that people are done with Saw. You could figure mm. out a way to squeeze some life from that Saw franchise still. Quite possibly. And definitely John Wick. I mean, Hunger Games and Twilight are a separate story because they're kind of based on pre-existing books or whatever. But hey, speaking of Twilight, I never asked you. Uh, Team Edward, Team Jacob. Team Jacob at this point. It's, a, it's long what? since. Long over. Like, she marries Edward. Jacob ends up having a passionate affair with her newborn daughter. Oh, that doesn't seem, uh, like, age-appropriate. Age Do you not know this? Do you not know about Renesmee? I've never seen any of these movies. Well, let me just walk you through it. I know about the baby that... Yeah, Renesmee is Bella and Edward's baby. And then right. the thing with werewolves is they lock in and, like, I don't know, whatever they... 
pledge themselves to their mate the first time they they imprint you know like they see their mate and that's okay. it even if there's a huge age difference because they all age you know messed up they're monsters so jacob and renezme like link up even though she's just a baby they don't get together until she's older but yeah it, it's very creepy yeah, I don't like that. No, who would like that? It's messed up and bizarre. I'm Team Edward just because I prefer Robert Pattinson to Taylor Lautner. At this point, if you're Team Jacob, you're taking away all of Bella's agency. Like, why would you do that? Like, she clearly prefers Edward. They got married. But, you know, some people are diehards. <laughs> yeah, you really, like, in that case, you're like, I know Bella Swan better than she knows herself. Which I find offensive, Hal. I didn't mean to offend your sensibilities in regards to Twilight. You did. My bad. Paramount, they're going to release the sci-fi thriller Infinite starring Mark Wahlberg directly on Paramount Plus next week on Friday, June 10th. Very little fanfare. This was going to yeah. be a big summer tentpole movie in theaters this August. Yeah, you got Chiwetel Ejiofor in there. Yeah, directed by Antoine Fuqua of Training Day fame. Sophie Cookson, you've seen her. She's Roxy in the Kingsman films. Jason Manzukis is in this. Rupert oh. Friend, Dylan O'Brien, Toby Jones. Uh, it was going to be a you know a tentpole summer movie. It feels like the sort of thing that they thought was going to launch a franchise too. The idea is. Wahlberg finds out that he is part of a group of people known as Infinites. They have been reincarnated many, many times, and they can recall memories and information from their past lives. And from the looks of the trailer, he's being hunted. Chiwetel Ejiofor is trying to track down or control the Infinites. So they clearly thought this was going to launch some, you know, whole action franchise. They must not have a lot of confidence in it if they're going to dump it on Paramount Plus in a few weeks. Most of the trailer takes place in just one scene where they do the classic thing of breaking someone out of prison by driving a truck through the... Which we just saw in one of this week's big releases. Yeah, I know exactly what you're speaking of. Here's my other question, though. Just based on the trailer. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg, an older gentleman, right, at this point? Yeah. So how useful is this thing if he didn't even trigger it? Like, you could be 50 years old and not know that you've been reincarnated and you're a magic infinite. And, like, you would think at 20 it would, like, present itself, right? Maybe it's latent for some people. This would be like you're an X-Man, but you find it out when you're already in the old folks home. Like, oh, I, I could have been shooting lasers out of my eyes this whole time. <laughs> Oh, son of a bitch. Maybe your last couple of years, you turn up and you, you get out there and you, you laser some walls. I can't even walk around. The invisibility is useless. Why? I'll just break a hip and no one will find me. Oh, I like your elderly X-Men character. Geriatric X-Men. Yeah, Geriatric look out. X-Men. Look out for that. It's X-E-X-Men. X-Men. There was a little bit of a Derek Delgadio aspect to me. Derek Delgadio, really? With the guy laying all the objects out on the table. Yes, you're right, yeah. And then he should have asked Wahlberg, tell me one word to describe yourself. Yeah. Uh, reincarnated? I am a leader. I'm looking forward to this, going to check it out, but uh, it does not bode well for Infinite that Paramount does not have any faith in it. Yeah, it looks like it's just getting unceremoniously dumped on Paramount+. Plus. It's going to be the first ever Paramount Plus original, uh, you know, film. You know what? Maybe they're, they're using it to... Maybe, 
they had a campaign to promote Paramount Plus that much more, uh, you know, using this movie. I mean, yes, they are hoping that, oh, if we put this big Mark Wahlberg action movie, more people will check out Paramount Plus because it's really like it's pretty grim over there. I know it's a lot of CBS shows and then SpongeBob mm -hmm. and like the real world reruns. Star Trek. Yeah. Out of all the streaming services, I feel like they're kind of struggling the most out of the gate to like. How do we take all of this different kinds of stuff that we make and like come up with a way to package it and get it out to people? Yeah. I mean, some of these streaming services are like, hey, it's us, the random bunch of shit. Paramount, Viacom, CBS more than any of the other because it's like yeah. well, you got the acronym CBS shows yep. and then you've got all of this like old MTV and VH1 content, which is like a totally different audience. Yeah. Real World Road Rules Challenge and NCIS Las Vegas, like not a ton of overlap there. No. It's just this mishmash and I feel like they're struggling right now. So yeah, the idea would be, well, if we throw big Paramount movies on there, maybe that'll do it. Moving on, Netflix, they're gonna make a movie called Rodney and Cheryl. It is about a real incident that happened in 1978 when an serial killer named Rodney Alcala competed on the dating game. I guess in the 70s, there weren't really background checks. Like, they just weren't doing their homework. Yeah, harder to vet people. So you could just kind of get cast on one of those shows and they wouldn't really... Like, before he had been on the dating game, he'd been in a lot of trouble with the law. Oh. So they just didn't look into who he was. But it wasn't until two years later, 1980, he was convicted of murder, sentenced to death. He remains to this day. He has not been executed. He's in a California prison on death row. Wow. But here's the amazing part of this story. Cheryl Bradshaw, the woman, you know, won a date with this guy met him. She picked the charismatic murderer. Well, no, he, I think he picked her. I don't remember. Maybe she picked him. Okay. But after that, she was like, I'm not going to go on a date with him. He seems creepy. Good call. So she had the foresight. She spotted him. Yes. Anna Kendrick is going to play her in the film. And who's playing uh, the dude? No Rodney yet. We're waiting on a Rodney casting. You know, this reminds me uh, the time I dodged a bullet because I actually ended up going out on one date with a lady who I saw on my timeline is... Eileen Warnos. No, I, oh, I wish I went out with the monster. That would be a story. <laughs> Charlize Theron as monster. No, I, I went out with someone who, via social media, I was able to see, got involved with a little uh, secret agent known as Q. Oh, so you mean you went out on a date with somebody who got into Q afterwards? Yeah, got into QAnon. And, uh, <laughs> and that to you is like dodging a bullet of, of dating a, of serial, a serial killer. killer. Yeah. yeah. But think about it this way. If you and that woman had embarked on a on a happy, healthy, mutually fulfilling relationship, I feel like you might have kept her out of queue. Maybe. I feel like you might not have gone down that dark path. Or maybe right now I'd be hashtagging all my shit with uh, where we go when we go all. Yeah, this podcast would be called Storm Boys. And Storm Boys. we would just be still talking about the latest Q drops. Oh, boy. Which, if you would ever take my segment ideas, we could be doing right now. This is important stuff. Oh, Lon. Uh... Have we never, wait, we never talked about how very into Q I am on this show? That never came up before? I mean, I, I would have thought you might have mentioned it when we talked about Into the Storm. Folks, here's the thing. Satanists have infiltrated the Democratic Party. I mean, it's just obvious. Lon, we agreed not to make this your political soapbox. <laughs> All right. One more news story, 
And it's going to make it seem like I'm still doing the Q bit, but I'm not. This is not a bit. John Hinckley Jr., he's the guy that took a shot at President Reagan in 1981. So in 2016, he was freed from a institution. He's no longer a ward of the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is a free man as of 2016. He's now started his own YouTube channel where he posts covers and original songs. It's him playing on guitar and singing. So you could follow John Hinckley Jr. on YouTube now if you want to. I'm sure Jody Foster can't wait to jump over there and check out what he's up to. Yeah, so apparently he took his uh, shots at Reagan and others were injured there. Brady, uh, yeah. cabinet member, I believe, to impress Jody Foster. That was what he said at the time. He was trying to impress Jody Foster. Are any of his original songs about Jody Foster or about that day? I feel like he's probably got a parole issue going on where he's got to be good, you know? Like, I think he's he doesn't want to push it. So probably not any Panic Room-themed material, (laughs) I would guess. Oh, he loves David Fincher's Panic Room. If he's a smart guy, I would think he would just avoid her entire oeuvre, you know, no flight plan songs. Just keep it it on the straight and narrow. No Hot Elysium takes (laughs) on the John Hinckley Jr. YouTube channel. The John Hinckley Jr. channel. No, just solid covers and stuff. You know, he's he's doing all right. Is he out there doing pranks? <laughs> Social experiments. Social Pretending experiments. Pretending to shoot some. <laughs> Jeez, it's real dark. I mean, listen, this territory is inherently dark. We're talking about a would-be assassin. He's an attempted murderer. You're right. He should cover Sondheim's assassins. That's how you go viral, baby. Could you do an honest trailer of his YouTube channel? I mean... It depends on your use of the word could. Like, could such a thing be written? Of course. Would fandom allow us to post it for the public? Absolutely not. Who signs off on what the uh, Honest Trailer is going to be week to week? I mean, like, Spencer makes that decision. Spencer, our, our head writer, uh, yeah. he, w- he would make that decision about what the movie's going to be. I would assume, though, this is above my pay grade. There's definitely a mechanism by which fandom could reject such a decision. So what you're saying is people should tweet directly at fandom and Spencer Gilbert and tell them Lon sent you. I mean, they can. It won't matter, but... <laughs> <laughs> Asking for the John Hinckley Jr. YouTube but like, channel. Uh, <laughs> it won't move the needle, but they're welcome to try it if they would like to. Have you guys ever thought about doing like a Fox News Honest Trailer? No. We get upset when there's no way to write the Honest Trailer without involving like current events because right. it just... It's not even like we don't want to talk about it. I would love to talk about that stuff. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's lose-lose. Nobody wants to listen. We don't change minds. Super divisive. It's very divisive. It just, it makes people angry. So no, we would never do anything overtly political. We always try to find a way to put a funny spin on it and have it be as escapist as possible. Unlike binge boys out here trying to change hearts and minds. We're steering into the skid, the most controversial, which is why I want to talk about Comet Pizza. Folks, there's a lot of stuff going on (laughs) there that we don't know about. No, I'm kidding. In the basement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Alamo in the basement. That's it for news. That's all I got for news. You know what? That was plenty. Thank you for an an educational uh, trip into the news with Lon Harris. That was plenty. Try to sound like you're enjoying it. Way more than enough. (laughs) Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, Cruella on Disney+. Plus. And in theaters. Lon, 
we both watched Cruella. You watched it differently than I. You uh, sat your ass in a cushy theater seat. I watched this in a theater, son. It, this was my return. Did you get any snacks? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get any snacks. I'm an old, I'm an old man. Like, I'm at the age now where it's like, ugh, do I want to popcorn in the middle of the day? It's going to ruin my dinner. There's a lot of goddamn sodium in that popcorn. I realize now this is going to be two weeks in a row because last week we talked about the Whole Foods hot bar and how I got to get my veggies. And yes. now I'm like, ugh, popcorn in the afternoon gonna ruin my dinner, but it's uh -huh. true. If it was like a three o'clock movie, if I ate popcorn then, I'm not gonna be hungry again until like 10 p.m., but then I'm gonna be famished, but then if I eat dinner at 10 p.m., that's my, my tummy's gonna hurt. Oh, I'll get a smaller popcorn just because I love it. I love munching popcorn. Listen, I love popcorn. It's not anti-popcorn, but I can't eat popcorn in the afternoon on an empty stomach It'll throw off the rest of my food week. Oh, I, I hear you. That, that's a legitimate complaint, but I'll make it work. I'm over 40 and a Jew, so it's all... Same. So 90% of my decisions are stomach health focused. Like Yes, I, right there with you, right there with you. You know, like in spy movies, the thing is like the spy, they clocked every exit. They're watching everybody. They've got a ton of situational awareness, you know? They know where the cameras are. Like Ethan Hunt or Jason Bourne can always do that like, oh, well, I can get out that window, take out that guy. Those two guys over there, they're with him. You know, they've, they've already clocked everybody in the room. I'm yep. like this, except exclusively with my stomach and intestines, where I'm like, at any given time, I'm like, oh, couldn't eat that. That's going to make a rumble in my tummy. Don't want that. I'm going to be super gassy in the morning. Can't do that. Heartburn city. You know, like, I got to be like that all the time or... I'm just not gonna feel good ever. I feel you. Let me put a button on this popcorn conversation and then we'll get to actually talking about Cruella. <laughs> no, uh, let's keep talking about my bowels, like the two old Jews podcast. What else would you expect really? Nowadays, this is a dirty secret. Pre-pandemic, I was sneaking in skinny pop. Wow. I don't know if I would admit that on a podcast. Uh, come get me, pigs. No, it's just the uh, the supermarket popcorn. It's gross. Like, no, that's no, no, no. It's too fatty and salty for me. But that's the appeal. Skinny Pop is still crunchy, and it's guilt-free snacking. Ugh, Lon, ugh, I'm ugh. a guilt-free snacker. Ugh. Take it for what it's worth. Guilt-free snacking is the best snacking, and I love it. Let's talk Cruella, with that being the last thought on snacking. I will walk off this podcast. <laughs> I will um, walk out of this podcast. Uh... Cruel, here's my thing. I'm going to open the conversation with this because I feel like it's not really about the quality of the movie Cruel. Yes. But we're in a world now where if you were like, I got a great idea. It is about a bitter rivalry between two women in 70s London in the fashion industry. There's heists. There's chases. There's crime. There's dogs. There's comedy. This got a little bit of everything. If I went and pitched that, everybody in Hollywood would be like, get out of my office. The only way you can make this movie is you have to figure out some tortured, weird, awkward way to make the lady in it Cruella DeVille. Tie it to an IP. And so it forces these movies into these weird boxes where this would probably be a lot better if it was just allowed to be what it was. Yeah. And it didn't have this constant need to like reference Dalmatians or whatever to like awkwardly tie it into this movie that 
is a famous name and character, but probably people don't really remember a lot of the details of anyway. Like, why are we doing this to filmmakers? Yeah, I didn't mind it. and I I didn't mind it either. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think like, man, wouldn't it be great if you could just go see something like this and it could just be what it is instead of yeah. a Cruella DeVille prequel? Yeah, I guess. But, you know, it's got the Disney push behind it and it's got the Disney budgets and everything as well and exposure. So that ties in with Cruella. And I would... You know, I would say Cruella is pretty well known because the character and it's like a design like everybody knows. Yes. Tall gloves, cigarette holder, black and white hair, crazy. Sure. But I mean, like, were you picking up all the 101 Dalmatian Easter eggs they were throwing down? No. And then they everyone. Well, I mean, did you even catch like that's the couple from 101 Dalmatians? No, 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 no. I did not. I did not understand that. Exactly. Um, But I will tell you this. (laughs) I liked what they did. And I feel like it's, you know, I'm not going to fault them for picking an IP that's going to give the idea and the film a little bit more traction because they made a decent movie. I don't know if there was any uh, lore behind like this character that Emma Thompson plays, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to Emma's, by the way. Stone, Thompson. I would have enjoyed even more Emma's, but I liked two for the price of one Emma. What would have been your third Emma if you could have thrown any additional Emma? Watson's coming to mind. There you go. She could have been like a a dowdy kind of assistant to Emma Thompson, perhaps. Emma Watson could have been a dowdy assistant? Oh, I get her uh, confused. Who's the one from Breaking the Waves? Emily Watson. Emma Watson is Hermione. Oh, Emily Watson. That's not an Emma. That's an Emily. Then Emma Watson, and she would be a non-dowdy assistant to Emma Thompson. Killed it. So glad I asked this hypothetical. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if the Baroness who... No, no, the Baroness is a totally original invention. That's not from the original. But this movie was super fun. It was uh, essentially Devil Wears Prada meets... uh, Don't say Joker. Harley Quinn. It's not, she's a ripoff of Miranda Priestly, but you get two minutes where it's sort of like Devil Wears Prada. It's actually, I think, more like uh, Mean Girl. Like, oh, I'm going to infiltrate these glamorous people that I hate, but then I get sucked in by their world and it turns me bad. I would say there's a little uh, Hannah Montana in there. Sure. The split personality. This is kind of what I mean. Like, I didn't mean this to be like, it's a bad movie. It's like eight movies. It doesn't feel like this was a clear concept for what this movie should be. This feels like it's a bunch of like branding meetings and like there's so many contrasting concepts of what it would be. And then it comes out, it's a mishmash. I mean, it's like eight different genres and tones and styles. It's a coming of age movie. It's a thriller. It's revenge. It's a heist. It's a caper. It's satirical, but it's also campy, but it's also- I'm agreeing with everything, but the thing that I disagree with is that it worked. It, it was a fun ride. Okay, like you could say it worked, it was a fun ride, but like it would have been more fun if it wasn't all over the it place. It was a little all over the place. Uh, and it's so long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes. Like Yes, a, a little bit too long. It's so much. Like if it was a lean 90 minutes and it was more focused on like it's a heist revenge thing and it's Cruella versus the Baroness, I feel like I would have liked it a lot more. But they're throwing in all these twists and turns and all this like you know, one scene is like kooky comedy and then one scene is like really dark and grim. And then you get the Devil Wears Prada stuff and then you get the Ocean's Eleven stuff and it's just like, what the hell is this? 
Are you uh, are you are you a little cranky, Lon? Because uh, Cruella's character was a little too irreverent for you. It's alternatingly irreverent and not reverent enough. That's my that's my issue. I just stick to one version of reverence. Damn it! You know, without spoiling too much, one silly thing that irked me about Emma Thompson's The Baroness how how she was written. Mm-hmm. This character is like kind of like she rules the fashion uh, world before. Uh, Cruella comes along and yeah. becomes kind of her rival. But she gets hoodwinked by more than one person who works for her. Like, yeah. this woman has no perception of like, oh, I'm being double-crossed. Kind of ridiculous. Cruella messes with like five of her gala events in a row. Yes. And yet the next gala event, still no security. Never any security. You could never any cops around. The same two dudes just come in every time and are just like, well, here we are in a big dump truck full of crap on your on your party. Like, are there no police in 70s London? I think there were. Maybe the Bobbies were on strike. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> the Bobbies. I mean, they don't have guns, so maybe they're all just running with batons with and they the just batons. were ineffective. They're truncheons. Stop, we're all say stop again, you lot. Right. Right, and I'm wearing a big old weird hat. It's a lot of that, and that part I appreciated, that it's taking place in 70s London, but there's also a dusting of, like, old-timey Mary Poppins London. There's definitely, like, some Oliver Twist shit. Yeah. Like, uh, at one point, the cops... There's a lot of just, like, Oi, you know! Like, there's a lot of that. The cops are literally running after child uh, Cruella. Yeah, like, street urchins. And saying, come back here, you scallywags. He literally used the word... Sc- no, I remember to use the word scallywags, and I love that. Every once in a while, it turns into, like, Muppet Christmas Carol for a scene, and it's like, oh. Um, here's another thing that I thought this was super fun, and, you know, it's... Folks, it's okay. It, it, it's a good time. It's a good time. But I will say that the soundtrack was too on the nose. Oh, my God. Like, am I watching Cruella or fucking Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, first off, I got to say, there's two incredibly on the nose needle drops. The first one is Now I Want to Be Your Dog, the the Mm -hmm. Stooges song. And it's like, first of all, that song... Not not about dogs. Not I don't I don't believe that's about dogs. Yeah, I think what is about a sexual submissive. It's about being a sexual submissive, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, the next one, sympathy for the devil. Yeah. That you you assholes, you can never play that song during a scene where you're supposed to actually have sympathy for the devil. Please stop. Two on the nose. It was like the soundtrack is supposed to like augment and highlight and lift a film. This distracted. It was such on-the-nose hits, one after another. It's a missed opportunity because you're trying to set the movie in this very specific historical moment, like the birth of punk, you know, the end of the 60s, early, so like they're very specifically making it look and feel like that era. Right. The fashion, the design, everything. They're constantly reminding you that that's what it's taking place. Mm -hmm. And then they pick songs from any era. Like, they just pick British songs from the 60s, from the late 70s. There's a Doors song in there at one point. And it's like, that's what helps to put us in that historical moment is play music specifically from that era, even a little bit more obscure, just to give us that sense for the time and place. Like, 
ELO's living thing does nothing for you to set that as a time and place. What a ridiculously poorly chosen song that is. Yeah, the soundtrack, <laughs> if you watch it, just... I did pay the $30 to watch wow, it. Wow, look at you. I, I feel like there's two, like, the the designs, the costumes, the sets, mwah, top-notch. Mm-hmm. Technically looks great. Emma Thompson, very funny. She gets it 100%. And Paul Walter Hauser, he's one of the two, he's Horace, one of the two thieves. He was Richard mm-hmm. Jewell. He was in yep. I, Tanya for the same director, Craig Gillespie. The Five Bloods. Yeah, he's very funny in this. Like, he's doing like a Bob Hoskins in Hook kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed by him. I thought he was very funny in this. And it's like, if the two of them are in the scene, it's fun. But when they were not around, I was like, all right, uh, enough already. And I liked Emma Stone as, as Cruella. I mean, she's fine, but I don't, it's all over the place. I couldn't figure out even what the read on Cruella was. Like, is this a crazy split personality thing? What defines Cruella's cruelty? Because even that seems vague. Like, sometimes she's just mean with people. Sometimes she's, like, homicidal crazy. That's a great point, Lon, because in all the Cruella lore from before, she's hateable. She's dastardly. She's a maniac. I mean, she a wants maniac, to murder a dog, puppies. A fucking dog killer. Get John Wick after this dog killer. But in this movie, she's our protagonist. The weirdest thing is, they end this movie with a suggestion that 101 Dalmatians is going to happen in mm-hmm. this world. I don't know if they're really going to do it, but as yeah. if they're setting, like I was mentioning to you, there are even characters in this who are you know, the Roger and Anita. Yes. Like Roger, the lawyer is played by Nandor from What We Do in the Shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kirby Baptiste is uh, Anita. Oh, yeah. Kirby Baptiste Howell. Mm-hmm. Right. So they are Roger and Anita. That's the couple from 101 Dalmatians. But 101 Dalmatians doesn't make any sense in this world because this version of Cruella would never kill 101 puppies to make a coat. She's like a nice lady. Unless she just goes completely off the deep end. It's messy and it's not clear and it's all over the place. And like, I thought it was a fun ride though. I think there's some good stuff here. It's certainly not the worst of these live action adaptations, but I wish we could just have real movies again and not everything had to be from the book of something else. You know, like it's just- Too late. It's just wearing me down, man. It's just wearing me down. Stay strong. We got a couple more things to talk about. That was Cruella. It's on uh, Disney- Plus for rental, Lon, when does it go live on Disney Plus? For the next month, it's going to be a $30 rental on Disney Plus, And then I don't even know. It'd probably be another month or two until we get it just on Disney Plus to live. Lon, thank you for that. Cruella on Disney Plus and in theaters now. Lon, you and I both watched the Friends reunion on HBO Max. We did. I don't know what I expected, but we did. I mean, listen, no one told either of us it was going to be this way. Thank you. Yeah. I get that if you loved Friends, this would be great. Like, I'm sure it was. If you're like an obsessive fan and you remember a lot. I liked Friends when it was on. I don't really remember it that well. I haven't rewatched it recently. So I felt like I was missing a lot of the appeal here. I feel like I could have shut it off after I just saw them kind of come back to the set and greet each other. That's kind of what I mean. Like, this felt like for 20, 30 minutes as like if this was a Haley Fest panel 
or a featurette on a DVD and it was just them on the set talking, yes. I would have been like, great, that's fun to see. I'm glad they're all doing well for the most part okay. But like at two hours and, and, and with this whole huge event, like it's so much. Like I, I don't I don't know if I needed to spend all this time. So like the backbone of it is them and James Corden and they're in front of like this socially distanced masked crowd. And they're in front of the fountain on the Warner Brothers lot and they're talking to James Corden. And then you cut from that to like pre-shot bits and, and pre-planned segments. And the worst one was Lisa Kudrow singing Smelly Cat with Lady Gaga. Yes. Where it's just like, first of all, you could – Lisa Kudrow is a great actress, but she was not acting like she wanted to be there very hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just felt like she wasn't really that interested. Very forced bit. Yeah, they make her do it twice. Like she's got to sing the whole song on her own and then Lady yeah. Gaga comes in and they sing it together and then a choir comes in and they sing it again and it's just like, yeah, the whole joke was that it's a bad song. Like I don't yeah, need to hear much. it over and over again. Just bizarre. Oh, what, what was that show where like celebrities play like Pictionary and stuff with Jane Lynch? Celebrity party night or... Celebrity Sunday night party. Yeah, something yeah, like that, on yeah. On NBC. Game night, yeah. celebrity game, game night, night, maybe. Celebrity game night, yes, we got to it, Lon. Yeah. Good work, teamwork makes a dreamer. Like they were sitting around doing that and I'm like, all right. And then I hate to say it, but the whole time I was just kind of feeling bad about Matthew Perry. Yeah. Now he said it, he just needed emergency dental surgery and that that was it was his teeth and it was hard to speak. So he was like kind of hesitant to interject and stuff because of his of his teeth issues. Yeah. And like, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Like, I'm sure that would be awkward. I don't personally want to read in too much, but read in anything. And it's no, no I'm not saying you were, but I, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about what's up with Matthew Perry. For sure. Uh, kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah, we well, definitely was. He definitely had just had veneers put in or cap teeth or something. I just really feel like it was just seeing them together. And anytime they were pulling us away from just hanging out with them or like the best parts were like when they brought in the lady who played Janice or the guy who played Gunther or they called out, you know, Elliot Gould and Christina Pickles in the audience and said mm -hmm. hello to them. Like that or Tom Selleck coming out. That stuff I liked. Not Tom Selleck's first rodeo. No. But like the, oh, here's Cara Delevingne and Justin Bieber doing a Friends fashion show. It's like, oh boy, yeah. what am I doing? I don't even like the show that much. I'll make this joke, Lon. I was a little bit hurt that I was not asked uh, to be a part it's of it. Noted Friends Extra. Noted Friends Extra Central Perk background. Uh, I think it was season four. You were not the only snub. Cole Sprouse played uh, Ross's son. He was wow. nowhere. He was not mentioned. Giovanni Rabisi played Phoebe's half brother. I mm. did not see him even no. get a even get a mention. And where was Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd, Phoebe's uh, husband, at the end of the mm -hmm. show. That's a big. Where where was where was Ant Man? So I was watching. Like, wait a minute. Where are Hal Rudnick and Paul Rudd? Exactly. My two favorite Friends characters. Thank you for saying my name in the same breath there. Yeah. But, yeah, kind of skippable. and Unless you're, like, a super fan, and then I'm sure it's great. Unless you're a super fan, yes. Unless uh, you uh, join them in Central Perk and got your coffee or giant mug and plopped down on the couch so you can watch them just talk about life and their first world problems. But I will say this. Just a message to all future shows 
contemplating reunions. You're never going to get better than the Seinfeld reunion on Curb Your Enthusiasm. All reunions should be baked into a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, 100% yes. Where it's just the entire cast, they have to like meet back up with Larry David and the awkward. And everyone plays versions of themselves yeah. and their character and hybrids of that. And one of the people from the show has a high profile publicity gaffe that they have to do uh, damage control right. on. Yes, always one member of your ensemble has to go use the N-word a bunch at the comedy store. Or something else. No, Ho- that's hopefully. it. Just no, N-word I'm say at the comedy store. Hopefully not N-word related. No, that's I'm saying it. hopefully not N-word related. But uh, Michael Richards that was at the Laugh Factory. Oh, God damn it! I had a 50-50 shot at it and I picked the wrong one. Anyway, uh, that aside, the Seinfeld reunion on Curb Your Enthusiasm is uh, chef's kiss. Perfect. Uh, Friends Reunion is available on HBO Max. Coming up, we're going to talk about the mayor of Easttown finale. Juan, oh, the town is better with mayor in it. We all agree. There's no East Town without mayor, especially no. because it's fictional. So there really isn't. True. I say um, back up a dump truck full of trophies and dump them on Kate Winslet's lawn. She did good. I, I love so much about this show and the details. And uh, I like the way they parsed out the crime. Uh, talk to me, Lon. Uh, throw some thoughts my way. My take on, on Mare was very consistent throughout all seven episodes. I'm going to spoil it. So if you haven't yet finished Mayor of Easttown, stop. You, we're done. This is the last thing we're going to talk about. Hit stop on your on your podcast right now. But if you're still with us, I'm going to I'm going to blow it. Great. I thought amazing work in terms of the people of Easttown, the characters, the people in Mayor's life the development of their stories. I thought, obviously, Kate Winslet's amazing. I thought Julianne Nicholson in this finale, incredible. Yeah, lovely, powerful work. Incredibly powerful. I mean, even like, obviously, Gene Smart was terrific. Siobhan, I don't know how to pronounce the actress's name. It's like Andre Rice. I don't know how to say it. Uh, Everybody, the whole cast, the guy playing the chief of police was great. Um, uh, The late, great Evan Peters. Everybody was terrific. And I love the way that it it didn't feel like easy answers, but it still felt like a satisfying conclusion. And that's very hard to do, to, to leave mm-hmm. us in a place where it doesn't feel like everything gets wrapped up with a neat little bow, but it feels like closure. And I get what this show was about and I get what it was saying and I get what part of Mare's journey we were sort of on with her. Having said all of that. Yes. I fucking hated the mystery in this show. I never thought they did a good job. And I hated Mm. the way it wrapped up. Like, I'm exactly opposite. I thought the human drama and the characters were so good. And I thought, man, the laziest, dumbest plotting on the whodunit part. And I fucking hate, and here's where the spoilers come. I fucking hate, oh, you think the parent did it. It was the teenager the whole time, you dumb motherfucker. Like, we just saw that. Woman in the window just did that same fucking bit where they make you think it's Gary Oldman, but then it's like, oh, the teenager actually did it. And here's the thing. Oh, the undoing did the reverse of that. For a second, it made you think it was the kid. Right. They always want to do that. Gone, baby, gone. It's also the teenager randomly did it. I get why a mystery writer would want to do it because you got like, well, 
DNA. It's a, the motive can always be similar. It's like you you wouldn't necessarily suspect a kid, but you can set up that a kid did it and make it look like it's their parent the whole time, and it's a good twist. But it's never properly motivated, and it's not here either. Like, does anyone really believe this like middle class suburban kid is like so paranoid that his parents are going to split up that he's going to do a murder on a on, on a peer on who's his cousin? He's going to shoot his cousin. He's going to premeditate it, go to the shed of the guy he cuts the lawn for, mm -hmm. steal that guy's gun to go threaten his cousin to stop fucking his dad. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I, I respect that. I myself was along for the ride. You know, I thought this show was pretty airtight, like as far as the writing goes and the way things added up. The believability of uh, the characters' machinations uh, aside. But there was a big plot hole that I noticed in the final episode. I noticed one too. I wonder if we picked up on the same one. You go. So Mayor went to talk to the old widower. We did. Um, we picked up he, on the same one. And and he said, my gun was missing. But meanwhile, the story plays out. The gun was only missing for like two hours in the middle of the night. Yeah, there's no way the guy would have ever even noticed the gun was missing. So you're telling me he went out to that shed at fucking 1 a.m. But that's not even what he said. He says he just randomly noticed because it had been gone yes. for a while that it was gone, but it wasn't. The kid yep. brought it right back. You're absolutely yep. right. I noticed this too. It is a plot hole. I get that it's a twist and we think it's going to be Billy and then we think it's going to be John and it yes. turns out that it's Ryan. My Ryan, my Ryan. Extra twists if you can't make them really pay off are not worth it. It would have been better if it was just John and you didn't have that last twist, but it makes more sense. Structurally, it led to the powerful connection between uh, Julian Nicholson and Mayer because they lost their sons in different ways. I understand what you're saying, and I get why it's dramatically satisfying, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like this show, the whole deal with this show is we're following Mayer and her own trauma and her journey to healing herself, and we're mm -hmm. following this crime that she's working on and she's trying to solve. And they gotta both work. You can't just do one. I would contend that they did both work, but um, but more exciting than that and kind of like this B-plot of the daughter of the uh, cancer survivor mom being found in that you know house of horrors. Katie, I believe, is that character's name. Nicely done. Yeah, being found in this house of horrors, being held hostage with this uh, other uh, sex worker. That whole set piece in that- Katie uh, Bailey. It, yeah, Katie Bailey. Uh, that whole set piece in that house where they're being held captive with Evan Peters, where, you know, uh, right. R.I.P. Detective Zabel, um, so good. And like, you know, echoes of Silence of the Lambs. I think that's obvious. And just that could not have been well. I would call that one of the high points of the series. And- <sighs> Uh, okay, uh, but I would agree <laughs> that um, the ending, maybe not as riveting as uh, when they were tracking down that blue van. That was, I, I thought the show was really cooking right there. But overall, I just loved it. And Kate Winslet, I'll just reiterate uh, her acting so good. And one of my favorite moments of the series, very small, Kate Winslet was calling in this 13-year-old kid was a, a suspect in a murder. And- um, the way Kate Winslet's voice cracks as she's saying that, it's like she was in the zone. She was in the zone. 
fucking nailed it. So good. All of the plotting on the mystery stuff from the, oh, it was too different. It was, this was a kidnapper. This was totally unconnected, different crime. Like, it always felt like it was taking a backseat to the Kate Winslet story. You know, like, Mayor was the focus, and then this other stuff was background. And it's like, never felt like the... The mystery was serviced well, and then in the finale, it's just, man, the way it wrapped it up, it really bugged me. It took me out of that world that I was enjoying so much from all the other stuff. But uh, overall, I liked the show. I just felt like they needed a crime novelist to come in and help them tighten up the mystery. Also, I could have gone for a few more mentions of Wawa. Oh, yeah. Why Why no, Why not more cheesesteaks? Couldn't Mayor have had a few more cheesesteaks? <laughs> Um, cause the Wawa is just so much fun to say. They love the Wawa out there. They love it. They love Wawa. But, uh, yeah, those are some thoughts on Mayor of Easttown. I guess, Lon, you are, you, you no longer want to move to Easttown. I never want, you wanted to move to Easttown. I wanted to move to Rutherford Falls. Remember? Oh, oh <laughs> it's a yes, callback. Yes. <laughs> it's a callback. Yes. Uh, so a little bit of lore. Classic, classic binge boys bit. Uh, Lon will be moving to Rutherford Falls on Peacock. I will be moving to Easttown. And, uh, See, it seems grim. Got to pick up a trendy fentanyl addiction before you go out to Easttown. <laughs> uh, and uh, creep around people's yards. Yeah, really. Mayor of Easttown, uh, absolutely worth checking out. And uh, I would be excited if they uh, brought Kate Winslet. Could be. They've hinted around. Maybe there's more adventures in Easttown. Somebody else... Somebody else could do a crime. And I think they'd have to widen it out. I feel like, you know how detectives like Kojak had the lollipop and yes. Sherlock Holmes has the deer stalker. Uh, yes. So Mayor's bit is the vape. That's her detective yeah. bit. She's the detective with the vape. Maybe it'll be like Cabot Cove where every week uh, Angela <laughs> Lansbury had to solve yeah. another murder. Yeah. Maybe that'll happen. She's, in... uh, she's our generation's Jessica Fletcher is Mayor. I like that. I like that. Mayor of Easttown, uh, HBO and on HBO Max. I think that's about it for us today, Lon. That's all we got, man. Yeah, that's all we got. We are tapped. Not a moment too soon, honestly. Out. Um, I want to say hoot hoot to everybody in Owl Nation. There's a little uh, owl that lives in all of our hearts. Uh, um, where my gahooligans at? Thank you to Starburns Audio. And thank you to our fine producer, Travis Reeves. Travis, thank you for putting up with all of our bullshit here. And Jason Kay, thank you for the sweet licks that get us into the program. Lon Harris, why don't you tell folks where they can find your nudes? Uh, on Twitter. I post them daily, at L-O-N-S. <laughs> That's not main. That's, you know, my secondary account for my nudes. I don't share my main <laughs> my main account on this show. Uh, so go there. That's where I'm posting uh, everything I'm, I'm working on. And uh, read my newsletter. It comes out five days a week. It's free, Monday through Friday. Inside.com slash streaming. It covers all this stuff. Everything going on in the world of streams. Nice. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Instagram and Twitter. And check out my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, and if you're feeling frisky, go leave us uh, five stars on iTunes. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Bye-bye. Uh, Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the